Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. When local political candidates gear up for their campaigns, a large number call on Rachel Coverdale's consulting firm for support. I spoke with Rachel and her company's vice president, Andrew Greider, during the morning of Tuesday, May 21st. I'm at Coverdale Consulting near downtown Fishers are in the Nickel Plate area. My guests today are Rachel Coverdale. She's the president of Coverdale Consulting. And Andrew Greider, who is uh, the vice president of Coverdale Consulting. So, Rachel, Andrew, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, it's great to have both of you here. And I'm going to start with you, Rachel, because... I've looked at what your firm does. It encompasses a lot, uh, public relations for both commercial nonprofit groups. But I mostly want to talk about the political work that you do. Just generally talk about your approach to the political clients that you have. Sure. Uh, I come from a traditional marketing agency background and, and sort of accidentally got involved with politics. Uh, Mayor Fadness was one of my uh, first political clients about four years ago. Um, you know, I, I look at, at everything from more of a traditional marketing agency perspective. So I think that brings a new point of view to the political game. Um, so it's worked out pretty nicely um, so far. So, you know, public relations, politics, I think they come together in the one sense because in, in many situations, people don't know the politician, and your job is to try to get to know the politician and, and project that personality to the public. Is that a fair way to Yeah, and and now in the society that we live in, there's so many different platforms and, and ways that information's coming at you, and um, we have the technology and, and means to be able to really target um, who these politicians need to get in front of and approach it from a, a branding perspective too. How do we build this person's brand so they resonate with their target target audience, target voters? As, uh, you talk about platforms. I mean, when I was in media years ago, you had radio, TV, and print. That was about it. Maybe direct mail, things like that today. Mm-hmm. I mean, just juggling all the different ways you communicate with the public uh, is that a challenge for somebody in PR? Do you uh, How do you look at that? It is. At first, we want to go where people already are. So we know people spend a lot of time on, on Facebook. You know, they're still uh, reading traditional forms of media like newspapers and, and online articles. Um, but you can combine it. Andrew can talk a little bit more about this. But um, really using some of that past uh, voter data and figure out who your uh, voters are from that perspective um, and then see where they're at and see what platforms we need to use to get in front of them. For you and Andrew, because um, well, the first time I had a chance to, to get to know you, you were managing Scott Fadness's first political campaign. He was not somebody who was a politician. He was called himself a reluctant politician, but he's uh, won re-election twice. He, there were a few times he had no opposition, but he's had two contested uh, campaign so far, and I look at your resume, and of course that the Scott Fadness campaign is on there, but you also spent time on the national scene as a director of community events for the National Conservative Political Online Operation at Breitbart. So, 
talk about your journey through politics and the way you ended up here at uh, Coverdale Consulting. Well, I, I worked locally here. Um, Scott Faddis was, was one of the clients I, I worked with there. I also worked with the Republican Party here in, in Hamilton County and uh, numerous other candidates throughout the, the county here. Um, had the opportunity and uh, kind of started in, in late 2015. Um, had the opportunity to go to work for the folks at Breitbart. Was able to uh, travel around the country. I think that was 43 states in, in 2016. Um, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, having young kids who are getting older and starting to do soccer and basketball, um, traveling full-time probably wasn't the best idea and, uh, ended up back here locally and, and, uh, reconnected with Rachel who I got to know, um, through Scott's campaign. And, and actually, uh, she, over the course of about six months convinced me that I, I needed to come work with her. So I guess since that, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Here well, he is. Talk, talk a little bit about the experience at Breitbart. That's got to be a brutal schedule. 43 states, you're organizing community events for a, a national organization. Talk about uh, what you learned and the challenges with that job. You know, it, it was uh, it was certainly there were, there were challenges to it. But at the time, um, you know, particularly in early 2016 during the, uh, the Republican primary for the presidential that Donald Trump ended up winning, um, the, the number of events we did that were surrounding already existing uh, debates or probably debates isn't the right, right word, forum type events. Um, I know in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, there was a Tea Party convention that they did there. And we did a meetup at a, a restaurant just down the street from that. And it was a lot of fun and, and was able to uh, meet a lot of the people who are on the national scale that I, I wouldn't have gotten to meet hanging out in Fishers. So um, very, very good experience and, and, and certainly challenging. But the it was one of those you're, you're sitting there realizing. Um, I, I always tell a story that when and it's actually at the Myrtle Beach event, um, when there was a security problem while Donald Trump was on stage and uh, armed Secret Service agents were walking right in front of me, you realize that you're you're viewing something that is a little bit more historic than than even local elections can be. I remember seeing the video of that. That was uh, that was something. Of course, now locally, you got to remember, you know, in 2016, Ted Cruz did come to Handel's ice cream. I did not even know that. <laughs> I didn't I, know that either. I didn't get a chance to see it, but I heard about it later. He just, I guess it was during the Indiana primary. I he didn't was, know that. He was, uh, awesome. he did, he did stop it. I don't think it was an, like an announced or planned event. He just apparently needed some ice cream. And of course that's a good place to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at the lines and handles and you can see how popular uh, that is. Okay, Rachel, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Let's say I want to run for local. I'm not going to, but I'm just going to get some <laughs> what if here. So don't to get any rumors started. Okay. Rachel, let's say that I want to run for political office, local office somewhere in Hamilton County. I walk in your office and I say, Rachel, this is my plan. I want your help. What questions will you ask me? Here, uh, you know, our, our favorite clients that we work with have the right intentions and um, they're hard workers and um, they they want to do their best, so they know that um, if they stick to our strategy and, and what we've put together for them, generally it works out pretty well. Um, we always start with a really um, a really long strategy session around messaging and communications and really fine-tuning um, what their goals are and, and what they hope to accomplish um, when they're in office. And that's really the basis for their campaign. Uh, and then it gets a little more tactical. <laughs> well, David, have you ever turned down a client? 
I'm sure I have probably. But you don't remember. <laughs> you had to think we, about we that. Did the, for we a did this past spring. So. Did you really? We did. Uh-huh. So uh, let me ask that of you, Andrew. Um, let's say somebody sees you first. They walk in the door and say, Andrew, I'm, I want to be a candidate. Tell me what I need to do. You know, um, one of the things that, that is so nice about uh, working for Coverdale and, and work, working for Coverdale Consulting and being being here locally, being able to help it locally, is that these are all, all communities that, that I've, I've adopted. You know, I, I was born and raised in Greenwood. However, Hamilton County is my home, um, Noblesville in particular. So one of the things I always want to do is find out who they are and, and you know, what their plan is. If, are they somebody who is... Um, you know, not interested in moving forward. They want it to go back to how it was. Um, you know, is it somebody who sees what's going on and likes likes it and wants to be a part of that? Um, you know, it's really getting to know the person. So I don't know. There's there's not a one size fits all answer that I could I could tell you. I would ask as a first question, but getting to know the person and making sure that I mean they're they're they will be a representative of me as well as that. Um, and I think taking that attitude as, as you get to can, candidates and campaigns outside of the county here too is important that even though it might not be special to me personally, um, these folks are, are running for office in order to, to lead communities, not pad resumes and go on to the next big thing. That's interesting because, Rich, let me ask you this. Uh, do you feel that when you, when you talk to somebody uh, – well, let me ask it this way first – would you ever take uh, two clients running for the same office? For example, you've got four candidates for Fisher City Council at large. Would you take more than one of those candidates? Uh, yes and no. If they're running uh, together as a team, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an incumbent slate or something like that, yes. Which is what happened here in the last election. The three mm-hmm. at-large candidates and the mayor did seem to consolidate their a lot of their marketing, their, a lot of their signage, mm-hmm. a lot of their uh, direct mail. They were all together in, in one picture saying we're a team running uh, together. So in that case, you would you would take all three. Yeah, and we did that as well in Carmel, hmm. Carmel City Council. You know, the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Rachel, is because I'm a good friend of Adam Austin's. Yes. And uh, Ad, Adam and I uh, did a uh, film podcast for about a year and a half, and then once he had... Uh, who became a new father and started running for office, I said, we better put this on hiatus. We're thinking about starting it up again, but he did win an election uh, in Carmel. And here's an example. I like both. Maybe I'll start with Andrew and have you pitch in on this. Uh, Here's a man, a young man, about 30-some years old. He's got a young family. He has a business owner, wants to get involved in politics. How do you get that message across to Carmel voters as to who he is? And and, Because he's not been involved in elective politics before you, you know I, I think actually there's a lot of similarities between um what i what i saw from adam meeting him for the first couple times and actually scott fatness um you know when i met Bear fatness the first time and he, he likes to tell the story it was uh at launch fishers and we sat down um we had i think four diet cokes in the middle of us and we were just grabbing at them as quick as we could get if them. you drink them too you'll drink a lot yes. <laughs> he loves oh, yeah. diet coke but go ahead oh yeah um and, and and same with adam and 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 i told them both it's it's about the it's about working it's about the hard work that it takes to get in there and i think adam is is a candidate that in particular this cycle um, embraced that hard work and he got out, you know, basically starting at the beginning of, of uh, March and started knocking on doors and didn't stop. Um, I don't know the exact number, but he was probably well over 2,000 doors that he personally hit. 
Um, and, and, you know, we've seen time and time again that the folks who are willing to go out there and, and it's not just about going and knocking on a door, having the strategy behind that's important, but the candidates who are willing to go out and work. And I mean, that's people underestimate the fact that Mayor, Mayor Fadness did that as well. Every single night he was out knocking on doors back in 2013 in the first campaign and uh, 2014, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, and 2013, quite frankly, he was out, <laughs> he was out then too. So um, to me, that's when, when I look at Adam, when I look at Mayor Fadness, I see that, that hard work that they put into to getting out and meeting voters. And I think that translates over with Mayor Fadness and how you see he runs the city. Um, and I think it, it, Adam as a as city councilor will as well, that he'll be willing to put the work in and, and go out and actually hear from his constituents. Anything you want to add to that, Rachel? Adam is just such an authentic person, and uh, we connected right away the first time we met. Um, his intentions are just to do to do good for the city of Carmel, and you know he's a small business owner, and he has a family, and um, he just really connects with people, and and I think that makes a huge difference when you're trying to communicate against um, or across all these different platforms. That came through a lot for him. Yeah, when I when he told me he was thinking about running for office we, after we started our film podcast, I just looked at him after getting to know him. I said, oh, my gosh, we absolutely do need people like you in politics. So I'm very glad that he did the work, Ness, and it was clear he was ready to roll his sleeves up and, and go to work. And, yeah, I saw Scott Fadness do that as well in, in 2014, the door-to-door thing. Of course, when you are an incumbent mayor, it's a little harder to do that. But I think he he did do, do some retail politics this last time around. Absolutely, yeah. He he was out there again this past time, and and uh, um, you know, as as Fishers continues to grow and become bigger, it becomes harder and harder for a, a candidate running citywide to go out and knock on every door. I mean, it's not realistic. But we saw that with the at-large team in particular, uh, Rich Block, who. Um, you know, really grabbed the bull by the horns and said, all right, we're going to go out and we're going to talk to people and we're going to make our case that what we've been doing needs to continue. And I, I think you saw that on, on election day. Yeah. Andrew and I always talk about that timing is everything for politics and you can't ever take anything for granted. So. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this, Rachel. I want to hear from Andrew on this as well. On a local election, like a city election, like a, I mean, we can just widen it out to county wide elections. How important is fundraising and money. I mean, a lot of people accentuate how important it is, particularly on a national statewide basis. You really have to have the finances to be competitive. But what about a local election? How important is that component of your campaign, the ability to raise enough money to be competitive? I think there's more than one philosophy on on fundraising. Um, mine would be that, that fundraising says quite a, quite a bit. One, it shows you have um, support. Um, not just financially, but people are uh, behind your vision, behind what you want to do. Um, and when you can raise that money, um, I think that supports that idea. Um, secondly, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, there's there's many different platforms and, and ways that we can communicate people. And unfortunately, it's it's not an, an, uh, a cheap thing. You know, it's, it's expensive. And for someone to work with a company like us to help guide them and coach them and uh, strategically um, implement what needs to be done. That costs money too. Um, So fundraising, it's better to have it and be able to do great things to implement your, your strategy. Um, So I I think it's, it's pretty important. Andrew weigh in on that. Yeah, I I think it's, it's probably one of the most important things um, about a campaign, but I don't think for the reason that a lot of people um, realize 
Um, you know, we, we hear rumors, um, seems like every primary season I've been involved in that there's some big donor that's going to come out of nowhere and fund this candidate that nobody's ever heard of. And it never happens or hasn't happened yet. Hopefully, um, hopefully that doesn't happen because I don't think that's right. But just because you have money doesn't guarantee anything. Um, you know, anybody can get out and they can, they can buy a mailer. Um, anybody can go on and buy Facebook ads and Instagram ads and, and, but it doesn't guarantee you're going to win. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've been, uh, in my opinion, wrongfully accused of, of not paying attention to grassroots and other jobs in the past um, and focusing too much on fundraising. However, the one thing I've learned is that grassroots activities cost money. And I'm not talking about paying volunteers and, mm-hmm. and you know, that kind of thing. You know, in order to, to do the, the door knocking we were talking about, um, to be effective, you have to know who, who to knock on doors with. Who to actually talk to, and you have to have a technology. I mean, we can we can talk about all the iterations just in the last ten years that have gone through with technology and door knocking, um, taking us from from paper sheets that we were drawing drawing with a sharpie to here's the arrow for where to go to now um, you know a- online apps and things like that that you're able to actually interact with and see the information there. Um, you know, those things cost money and, and they cost a lot. And, you know, that's just one aspect of it that I think is, is important is that fundraising and politics should be there to support the grassroots side. It's, it's not the other way around. You're not going to your, to your volunteers asking them for money. You're going to your volunteers and saying, we need your help, but we're going to do everything possible to make it so your impact. When you, when you give two hours on a Saturday to go knock on doors, that your impact is, is good and that you're helping your candidate win. And Rachel, that's interesting what Andrew just said, because uh, you can go knock on doors, but unless you're strategic about it and you know where you you get the most effective use out of that door knocking, if you don't have some data that that takes a little money and work to get that, if you don't have some data about where you need to go, you're not going to be strategically effective. Talk about that. Exactly. And I think Andrew is pretty humble about um, his talent for analyzing uh voter data and uh, voting history and really coming up with a plan that uh, is specific to a candidate. Um, That's really one of Andrew's huge strengths that he brings to our team. And um, I think it's also rewarding on the flip side for candidates when they can go out or they can see after they've gone out for an entire weekend of knocking doors and, and they can see those um, analytics on who was home, how many they hit, um, the progress that they're making in each precinct, um, that's a motivating factor for candidates as well. But I think Andrew can really speak to some of that, uh, the analytics part and what all goes into creating that strategy. So you've got a candidate. I want to go out and run door to door. How do you advise that person to start that project? Buy, buy a good pair of shoes. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> Comfortable shoes, hopefully. Comfortable <laughs> shoes, yeah. Um, you, you know, the the... The way that we've done, and 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 you know, Rachel's very kind in saying that it's it's you know over years of of organizing door to door, and and you know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Again, you have you have enough money, you can go buy door to door lists that are made by somebody else. Um, we do everything here in house. Um, we have our own own data that we actually go out and build um, using voter registration information that's you know publicly available to anybody. Um, and, and we, we built out our own walk app this time. Um, that way our candidates Andrew made his own walk app yeah. this year, <laughs> yeah, I might add. It, it, it was, it was, uh, it was an experiment that went well. 
So, but so you did the you did all the the, the, the I don't have to call it drudge work really. It's kind of drudgery going in there and digging into that data and figuring out where people should uh, spend their resources going door to door. So you actually did that yourself. We we did all that ourselves, and and you know it's it's fun at, at this point in time in the election season. It's all about going back and looking at the data um, and seeing how close we got. I know. Our best, actually, a candidate who we worked with who lost in Westfield had had um, the best I've personally ever gotten. I think it was 87% of people that voted were on our target list. So, um, you know, we had had a couple other areas that weren't quite as good as that. But, yeah, it's it's about, um, you know, just using what we've learned over the years and, in order to go in and say, okay, here's here's where we think our likely voters are going to be. Let's see. Let's see if we can do that. And then it's also about testing it. I mean, it's one of the things that Reagan um, here in our office is is very good about is helping me with testing it. You come up with a theory, you go through and you, you build out the list. Well, now it's time to figure out if we're on the right track. So you start doing some tests to to see if you are. And um, you know, by the time you get to the beginning of March, you've got to be ready to go because those lists are used not only for the candidates to go out and knock on doors, but also um, you know it feeds into your mail program um, on some of the bigger races, digital targeting with dig- digital advertising um it all all feeds into itself so go ahead you yeah i, I think there. just from a messaging communication standpoint you have to lay that foundation and then also um with your your analytics and those numbers that's that's your second foundation you have to, those two have to work together andrew touched on something i want to ask you and he can expand later if he wants once the campaign is over how do you evaluate how well you did so we're we're actually in the process of of putting together kind of campaign recap um, meetings with with all of our clients. Um, Andrew does a lot uh, based on numbers, comparing who the targeted voters are and and uh, what those results were. Um, but um, you know, we really want to get a, a good download after after the campaign season's over. You know, what went well, what di- what didn't go well, and, and that really helps us prepare for the next election season and you go through the process what what are you looking for when you look back and say yeah, how did we do on this campaign you know i think that that there's a lot of of analysis that goes on and i mean obviously it, it varies whether you win or not you know if you win there's there's a different aspect than if you lose if, if you lose um you're trying to figure out why you know is there something we miss is there something that we can learn for next time um you know did did we not talk to the right people? Was our messaging not not proper? Um, th- those kind of things that on on the losses are are hard because you know we we work for people that we enjoy being around and work for people that we care about. So we want to give them the best uh, the best impression we possibly can on hey here's what we found and as well as as internally you know we think we could have done what we could have done better um, on the wins. It's 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 about um, seeing what you did right. And how we can make it so that that those areas you didn't do that right are in. Um, we look, we look at down to the down to the precinct level. Um, we want to look at that as well as early voting um, now, since that's a thing here in Hamilton County. Finally, um, absentee mail-in voting and how we did on that. And we we kind of look at everything to say, okay, where are we? And and most of these folks that we work with, we assume they're going to run in four years, so we give them you know information on hey. Um, you know, you didn't do so well in Fall Creek 26. You need to figure out why. Um, and, and you need to work on those relationships with those residents in there because, you know, you represent them. When I go to Noblesville and I get the results, so the, the media started getting the results, the first page we get, the first uh, set of data is the early voting and absentee ballot. That's already been counted ahead of time. They give it to us then. 
there was, I won't say which one, but there was a race, I think it was four years ago for Fisher City Council. I knew this candidate was going to win because this candidate had organized so well in that district for early voting and maybe some absentee. I could tell that there's no way that uh, candidate's opponent could possibly make that up. So I think you're right. That has become a bigger component of planning uh, your campaign, getting people to the polls early, not just uh, on election. That does change the way you look at at planning uh, your election strategy, does it not? Well, certainly. And I mean, you know, looking at Carmel this time with, I think it was a 21.6% was the turnout. That's right. Um, Mm -hmm. Which was the highest that we had. Obviously it's not, not great, but it's the highest we had here. Um, you know, essentially a fifth of the votes had been cast before, before the election even happened. And I mean, when you look at, and, and we weren't, we were not involved on, on the mayor's campaign over there, but you look at the, the things that went back and forth in those last two weeks as people were voting, I mean, that can have a significant effect. Um, the one thing I was a little disappointed in was, um, as, as we noticed that countywide early voting, the numbers were, were higher than, mm-hmm. than we expected. Um, it really kind of robbed Peter to pay Paul. It just kind of took those numbers away on election day. We were hoping that would be, you know, a force multiplier that would actually add to the, the number of votes and, and increase turnout. It didn't do that this time, but I think that's something from a campaign side we'll, we'll continue to push for because, um, you know, we, we want the highest turnout possible. If there was 90% voter turnout in cities like Fishers and Carmel, we're pretty confident that our, our clients are going to do very well in those areas because people love living here. Yeah, and, I, and Rachel, the thing that uh, strikes me is that there are still people I know who love the early voting. It's easier for them to get in and vote at the early voting. But I know other people who say, I'm not going to early vote. And and Andrew touched on this. You don't know what developments are going to happen in the campaign. I want to wait till the campaign's done, then I'll decide. But yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple different schools of thought on that. But absolutely, you it's, know, it's, a lot can happen. The I can't tell you how much in, in the last month is just all mental for for candidates and um, just you know people panic. People do crazy things when they start panicking. Um, you know, a lot can change. And your job is to settle them down. Is exactly. That <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, the last month, it's just a lot of, you know, you're doing great. You got this. Um, you know, we, we really develop really strong personal relationships with all of our clients. And it's there's nothing like going through a campaign together, the highs and the lows. And, you know, and then you want to make sure that you've done all that you could do. You, you left nothing out there. And then, you know, hopefully there's a celebration at the end of it. Andrew, here's a question for you. We have county elections coming up next year and a national, this national election, but, you know, I don't think there's a Senate race statewide. So it's mostly, there's a governor's race, but it's, 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 there will be local races at the county level. Let's say I walk into your office and say, Mr. Grider, I would love to run for X office in the county, but I'm a Democrat. What would you tell me? Ooh, that's you know, it's actually we've had more discussions about that um, since since I started with Rachel in December, probably than anything in terms of what we would or wouldn't do. Most of the questions are very easy. Um, when you, when 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 you mentioned earlier, would we work on two races on the, in the same? No, you can't do that because you you can't um, you you can't give your best to two sides of the same coin. It just doesn't work. Um, but the Democratic question is, is difficult. Um, I think that that um, probably not would be my my answer, but it would depend on who it was and and what they what their um, what their issue, what their messaging messaging is. Um, 
you know, I, I worked for Breitbart and I worked for the Republican Party, but I, I grew up in a in a family that was split. My mm-hmm. uh, dad had um, taught me how to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and my mom, I always joked, uh, taught me to actually, you know, love the environment and all that. So. <laughs> Um, not always in, in in tandem with each other. Well, yeah. no, they not at all. They still <laughs> insist on going to the polls together each time so that they can ca- counteract the other one's vote. <laughs> Cancel each other's yeah. vote. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my mom did vote Republican one time when uh, I was working for a statewide candidate here in Indiana. She, Just to support her son. To support her son, okay. yes. Um, but no, it's, it's really, to me... Um, I'm not, you know, morally opposed to working with the Democrat, but just the logistics of of that, you know, it would have to be something that would be a special circumstance. Well, Rachel, the the work that you're doing as a consultant, do you? I mean, what I've seen is that in in most situations, you have to choose: do you want to deal with Democrats or do you want to deal with Republicans? There are some that will deal with both. Do you expect that? And this is a highly Republican area. No, that's Mm -hmm. no secret to anybody here in Hamilton County and in Fishers. But um, do you feel like? As you look forward in your business, you're going to stay with the Republican candidates, or would you consider a Democrat? You know, I think every every county and, and every area is a little bit different. Um, so far, we, we've only worked with Republican candidates, and I think combined with uh, Andrew and I, what are our, what's our race total we're up 87 to? Now. A, 87 Republican uh, campaigns that we've run. Um, so I, I don't see that changing. I mean, it, it would have to be a very special I think we've lost six now, is that the... Yeah. Well, that's a pretty so, good record, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're proud of that. It's a testament to the people we've worked with actually, you know, going out there and doing the work. I mean, that's, that's we keep on coming back to that, but that really is about it. Is, you know, and our, you've only turned one client down based on what I heard you say before. So um, you've taken people who... Want to come work with you? Is that fair? Yeah, I, I would say that we turned one down this spring. I've I've turned down many. Okay, over the years we won't ask for a count on that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I couldn't tell you the exact count. Um, uh, Rachel, I'm going to ask you this: in uh, in your website for Creverdale Consulting and your about page, you list five different things. But here's one thing that you said on that page: it's important to be a person of your word. Uh-huh. And why was why did you put that number one? Um. I think that if you if you're you're only as good as what your word is and growing up my dad always taught me you always do what you say you're going to do and I think uh from a a business perspective that has to be the ultimate foundation um whether it's business clients or political clients um you know we're going to do what we say we're going to do and um, you know, we hope that our clients do the same, and that makes a pretty good relationship. I'm going to ask you, we're about out of time here, so um, I'm going to ask each of you to add anything you might want to add. Andrew, I'll give you the first shot at that. Oh, gosh. No, I, I mean, in terms of what Rachel said, I mean, it's one of the reasons that Rachel and I and uh, gotten along well since we, we first met is that our values are the same. And, um, you know, being honest and, and, and trustworthy, I think, is something that I've always strived to do, and, and not not in an industry that is necessarily always easy. Um, you know, when you look at some of the negative attacks and things like that that go on, um, you know, you'll notice from our clients this spring that that wasn't us. That's not how we we run our guys, and that's not the advice we give. Not that we wouldn't ever do that, but um, it would it would take something that really needed needed to be said in order to do that. So. Um, to me, it's just about the having the integrity to to you know say what you're going to do and and do what you said. Then follow through on it. Rachel, anything you want to say as we wrap this up? I would say another one of our core values is fun. Uh, whether it's internal or uh, with our team or with our clients, we 
always want to make sure that we're having fun. Um, you know, we got, we have to go to a job every day, so why not make the most of it? Um, have a great time. And, um, that's super important to me as a business owner and, and something to instill in our team and our clients. I can tell you this, when I was setting up, I could hear the two of you in the other room. You were having a great time. So. We were, yeah. Yeah, so. we, we, uh, we work pretty hard, especially around the campaign season. So you got to inter- intermix some, some fun and, and rewards. And we have a, a Nerf guns around here and play some games. And <laughs> That does sound like fun. Well, uh, Rachel Coverdale and Andrew Greider, I want to thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Larry. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you. My thanks to Rachel Coverdale and Andrew Greider for spending time with me talking about Coverdale Consulting. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Mm-hmm.